Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Bibi Fahodier, this is Gullah Jack. To my right, I have Brother Trigg. Across from me, I have Brother Amos. To my left, Brother Macaroo. We were discussing black on black crime. Clearly, the disregard for black life on the part of Africans throughout the diaspora has reached a whole new level. You raised the question you know, what are the problems? What are the causes, solutions, implementation? We get that from Dr. Barbara Sizemore, the transitioned, esteemed educator. We come to various conclusions. One conclusion is that whenever social bonds have been broken, people tend to engage in self-destructive types of activity. This permeates all cultures. You know, suffice it to say that we live in a society that places a great deal of emphasis on the atomization of the individual. You know, suffice it to say the ruling class cooperate as a group, but we are naively trapped into the concept of rugged individualism. You know, here on African Liberation Media, we've discussed on numerous occasions that it's African people in particular which is our focus here on ALM, African Liberation Media, we try to extricate ourselves from from whatever bonds we find ourselves ensnared by living within this white supremacist system. You know, conversely, to whatever degree, you know, whites, people of European extraction, they tend to respond as a team, with a team spirit. Our team spirit is an unhealthy spirit with no code of conduct in combating this monstrosity. This is just one variable, there are others. So I find myself in a state of melancholy. Uh, We can go on and on talking about various variables that contribute to this madness, but we would like to hear from our brother Trigg, who has recently returned from the continent he has a lot to share. This is the African Liberation Media. A BB for Hodier, African family. So we in here tonight in the studio with our good brother right here in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, Brother Trigg. How you doing tonight, Brother Trigg? I'm doing good, brother. It's been a while since you've been on. You know, the last time that we had you on, you gave us an in-depth education on West Africa, uh, as you've always done for as long as I've known you. His brother's always had an extensive knowledge of the continent. And recently, he traveled to the continent. I believe it was your first time going yeah. back home. Yeah. Uh, where he traveled to Senegal. And tonight he's gonna uncover what he saw and what he learned. And he's also gonna talk about some of the things that he thinks we're missing out on on the continent, the opportunities that are currently there that we should really be taking advantage of as Africans in the diaspora. 
Uh, but I'll let him go into that. Uh, so first of all, uh, Brother Trigg, how was that experience? Uh, just talk about that, the experience in going back to Africa. Well, I tell you, it takes some time to get uh, acclimated back into the United States. Um, it's weird to um, to feel homesick for a place that you've never been before. Mm. And so when I came back, I literally felt some level of depression from being away from it. And um, it was an amazing experience. I've read um, a lot of books on the continent all throughout my whole life. And um, so it, you can only get so much from books and uh, from uh, behind computer screens. So, you know, you got to actually get get your foot on, feet on the ground. And uh, mm -hmm. that, that was really the objective. And um, so basically I ate fresh food every single day. Mm. You know, no preservatives. Mm -hmm. uh, just, just, the, just the climate. I spent most of my time in Dakar, but I did go out in the other, uh, other cities and towns. But um, at the time, I think it was high 90s here. It was like 77 degrees every day with a cool breeze coming off of beautiful, the ocean. Beautiful, Because it's, you know, it's a peninsula. The, the car sticks out into the Atlantic. And um, just the people was beautiful. They, they, when I, from the first night I got there, walked through the, the airport, and the brother saw me. He assumed I was from France. And then I spoke English. And then he was like, you from America? I'm like, yes. He was like, he was like, welcome home, King. You royalty, mm. boy. You royalty. Mm. And I'm like, no, you royalty. You have the land, you know. And um, but I mean, the people were just beautiful. Everybody was friendly, and they, they 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 didn't see me as being different. Once they realized that I um I was seeking, well, I shouldn't say seeking, reclaiming my identity. Mm. Once they realized that, then it was like a whole another world opened up. And um, my reason for going was twofold. It was, it was one, to see what kind of investments and business opportunities was there. And the second was, of course, about lineage and uh, ancestors and me reclaiming uh, my identity. Because I had been um, <clears throat> learning, uh, off and on I was learning pool art for about two years. But the last, beginning of the year, I started actually getting a real teacher. Because I had a friend that was teaching me, but he ended up having, um, um, having some kids born. So his time got kind of taken up with that, which is understandable for family first. And um, so I actually got a teacher, and he happened to be from Senegal. And the, the odd thing about it is, he, at first he was not going to do it, because I was going through this place called Language Trainer. And I went and looked everywhere. I didn't see anything with Pular in it, besides uh, like small classes here and there, but it didn't go in depth. And I saw his last name, and I realized he was a Fulani. And uh, um, backstory, I'm Fulani and Yoruba. So, and Europe, I, I tried learning Europe teaching myself, but the tonal thing is difficult, and you got to dedicate a lot of time with it. So I was going to learn that too. But um, all all the Fulani, I mean, all, excuse me, all the Yorubas and Ebos, they seem like, man, you may be Yoruba, but you look Fulani. All of them said that. <laughs> and the first time I ever heard ethnic identity associated with me is a brother from Mali, and he said, first day he saw me, he said, man, you're a Fulani. Mm. The first thing he said, right down Monroe Road, back in like 2003. And I, I, at the time, I didn't know. He was actually Fulani. I didn't know what Fulani's were, um, but he was like, you're Fulani. And so um, 
Uh, so when I uh, took a DNA test back in 2014 and confirmed that I was Yoruba and um, Fulani. The funny thing is my son, my son is named Olu Toshin, which, is, uh, which means only God is, God is worthy to be served, and which is a Yoruba name. Now, my wife named him that prior to me knowing I had any Yoruba blood. Mm-hmm. So my blood, my blood, his, my blood that was developing in her was speaking out, you know, ancestors through, through his DNA saying, look, this is who he is, you know. So th- with those things happening, hearing, you know, uh, I, and my, old, my daughter, I named her Molly, which I always had an affinity for music from Molly, mm. which um, um, I don't know. I just always had, a, it was all these other music I listened to, but it was always just Molly music I was always um, inspired by. So I wanted to get into the, that particular part of the region, the northern part of West Africa, because um, I just had affinity, affinity for it. But I also had a, a strong connection to the Yoruba people too. I always dealt in uh, learning about the Ifa tradition and all that thing, those things too. So, so, um, but so everybody kept saying the fool anything. So I just started focusing more on that. So okay, anyway. So this brother decided that he was going to teach me um, Pular because he, he's at first he wasn't going to do it because the the company. He said they kind of funny on how they pay, so um, and I think they might be late in paying sometimes. So um, and I and I was gonna and I didn't see Pula on there first. First I saw Wolof. I like well I just learned Wolof, you know, because mm-hmm. I always wanted to visit Senegal anyway. So and I saw that he has a list of things that he um, that he uh, actually uh, speaking. I saw like I said I saw his last name. I said I know he speak Pula. So and I sent him an email. I got his information on his detail, his school background, all this stuff, see that he was legit. And so he started began, began teaching me Pular. So I've been learning Pular uh, steadily since January and uh, or maybe February. And and so I want to not try to use it on the ground. Mm-hmm. So that was another reason of going there and connect with some of the um, Fulans and get more insight on exactly historically what happened and also visit um, uh, the museum, uh, black civilizations that had just opened up in, in Dakar. So how did that go on the ground with Pular? Um, the thing is, because of because of the Fulani or the Pul people, they spread out across the Sahel. That there are various uh, uh, dialects of this language, mm-hmm. and the good thing is because I was learning. Uh, what they call Fufude, which is Pular, but it's the northern Nigerian version. They call it that also in Mali. Um, in Niger, they call it Fufude also, but it's the same language, but it's got variables in it. I was able to speak to people from other places because, like, Fufude, I'm going to give you a good example. Like the word uh, Sari, Sari. Sari means, um, it means house to some people, but it also means uh, town. Right or city, hmm. uh, same way with the word rural, rural, which means town or city for some people, but it also can mean house, or whatever. But and that makes sense when you look at it historically, since they were nomadic people originally. Your house is where you set up at, you know what I mean. So that's why the town thing and um, that word kind of game. So me, me knowing those things, because if I say sorry to someone um, in um, in Nigeria, they may depends on the context I use it. It could mean home or town, so if things, just got to know like things like that, like how you use it in context. So, I met there are people in in Senegal. There's various versions of Pular, which I wasn't aware of. 
I thought it was mainly one, which is um, the northern Nigeria, which is uh, the area that's called Futa. Futa is where the empire of Futa Totoro was. So um, they, they speak Pular, and I think that Pular may be more influenced by Berber, hmm. Berber languages, uh, and Arabic, of course, but some Berber language, because it's on the border of Mauritania and um, uh, Senegal, where the Futa is, right? Um, so, but the thing is funny is I had bought a book about Pular, and I started teaching myself that early on before I got a teacher. So I started learning, learning words from that, that, that dictionary. And that dictionary is actually northern um, Senegal Pular. So when you were there, were you able to pick up on certain words that were being said around you? Were you able to understand? Yeah, I tried to speak mostly to what I'm learning. I'm learning what they call Pula Futa, <laughs> okay. which is, um, I guess that would be considered more central Senegal or whatever. But Pula Futa also is more linked to Guinea, because Guinea has the largest population of Fulani in one country. Uh, some people say Nigeria, but, but Guinea. So, and everyone look at me, and they're like, you lucky from Guinea. That's what they all say. That's the first thing. Uh, and a brother who is actually the grandson, uh, excuse me, yeah, the grandson of Sheikh Amadou Bamba, well, he met me. The first thing he said, you from Guinea. Because he, he argued me up and down, like, man, you from Guinea. I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm from the United States. You know what I'm saying? But that's the first thing he said. Because the food, I do look more like the, the, the Fulani in Guinea. I, I, I see that, mm -hmm. you know. But um, so but I saw people that that I look like, you know what I'm saying? Mm. In Senegal, because a lot of Guineans that's in, in, um, in Senegal. And those people move around, man. And borders don't mean anything to most of those people there. You know, so walk 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 us through as you get there on the ground. Mm -hmm. You you traveling by yourself, right? So you uh, obviously had some connections already on the ground, right? In you know on the continent. Right. Um, so walk us through that experience. You know, it's your first time in this country, right? Um, and no know, one speaks English, right? Right. So how was it? You know, as far as coming from the airport, you know, connecting with your connect and then being able to navigate your way around from there? Well, the beauty is, because this guy set his own schedule, he, he actually does uh, translations for uh, different people, the UN, uh, uh, different embassies and stuff like that. He does this from his house, and he goes meet people and train language training. This cat speaks maybe about eight, nine languages. I'm talking about from Norwegian, Japanese, <laughs> So that's, that's the beauty of African people, man. They speak multiple languages, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So anyway, he meets me at the airport, so that helps out. So all I have to do is get to the outside with him. It took forever to get my bag off because I was like one of the first people on the plane, so he's at the very back. Mm -hmm. So we drive. It's, I get there, I think, maybe 9.45, close to 10 or whatever, and we ride through, and it's dark. And the experience that's so beautiful about it is as I'm, we riding down this highway, because they built this, this massive highway, because they created a new city called uh, Jamanjau, I think is how you pronounce it. And mm -hmm. um, they're still in the process of building, but it's beautiful. And as you were riding down, because the new airport is out of two, it's named after um, Blaise, Blaise Jean, the uh, uh, historical figure, you know, from, from when he was doing colonial France. He, you know, basically helped get the troops up, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for World War II. Was it World War II? One. World War One. yeah. So um, the, the, the airport is now for him, the new airport. And so driving from that, and it's dark, you see all the high-rise, because all this building going on, but it's dark, so you can, you can see the buildings, but you can't really notice anything. So as I'm driving, we get, we get down into the city, right? All I see is this beautiful black, this man come out. I mean, like, all you see is people. 
Mm. You know, mm. at night, man, it's like, it's almost like when you're having a party here, mm. or a block party, mm -hmm. it's like that every day. <laughs> that's, 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 what, that's what it is, like a block party every day, man. You see people hustling, you see, uh, you see, uh, you see people who still got the, the craftsman skills. Uh, I see these guys making doors, man, like doors that would cost $3,000, $6,000 here that's made from metal, iron, or steel, iron mainly, and these intricate patterns in it. Mm -hmm. You see that, you see, um, uh, of course you see the cows too, but they try to move the cows with the little carriages on the back. Mm -hmm. They try to move them, move them on the side street. They actually don't want them in the city at all anymore. They try to, you know, because they modernizing. Because you talk about modern synagogue. I mean, this is, uh, and we riding this, um, these. Well, I was on a bus that coming in, like a regular charter bus coming in. But man, I'm telling you, the, the funny thing about synagogue, man, is the the driving patterns. Like they got these roundabouts, and um, dude, it's like get in where you fit in. And it's like man. Somehow it works. It's like that across. It's like that across the continent. Yeah, I'm sure it is. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. So so being in Senegal now, I've heard Senegal is a very beautiful place, especially the beachfront mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. property that's there. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What do you see in regards to the current condition of Senegal when you get there? Um, like what's the climate like as far as? Uh, as far as African liberation? Well, the problem with Senegal is, and the Senegalese will tell you the same thing, is French involvement. Mm. The French, which which I was unaware of, is for 40, for 40 or 50 years, the Secretary of State was a Frenchman hmm. wow. in Senegal. White Frenchman? Yeah. So, I mean, but when you look at all the countries, it's still the same. I mean, all of them like that. I mean, they don't have the white involvement to the level that Senegal has because Senegal was the capital of French West Africa, where St. Louis was, which is the other town in the north, um, the coast, but in the northern part of Senegal, but it's on the coast. What's the what's the currency? Is this, is they still use the franc? Yeah, the, the seafood, yeah. Which is which you can't use, which you also can't use in France. Wow. So it's a setup. You can't use the seafood in France. But France backs the seafood in Africa, so you have that involvement. You have, um, uh, I think it was set up where the French get first deals on any, let's say, resource discovery or something like that. So it's, it's things like that that you see the the, the neocolonialism in full effect. So these are these are actually laws on the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all them got it. All the countries have things like that. The, Brit the British did the same thing in Nigeria, and. Um, um, uh, you got the same thing going on in Cameroon. You got the same thing going in Gabon. Because I talked to people from different places, in these, in the Côte, Côte d'Ivoire. I talked to people in all these different places that was there. Because Senegalese got a lot, I mean, Senegal have a lot of people from different places there. Hold on, hold on. So I want you to break this down for mm -hmm. me. So you have Africans mm -hmm. in Africa mm -hmm. that are on the ground, that own the land, but there's rules in place to say if they discover new resources, that they must first pay a tax to the French or the or the British for well, these resources that they find. Not so much pay a tax, but if any type of uh, development come out of it, let's say you are uh, gonna mine something, manufacture something, the French must get the first deal. They gotta have the the, the first the, opportunity to, to refuse. Oh, so the right to refuse type. Basically, of. basically, yeah. 
And so they'll say, okay, I don't want to do it. And then they'll, you can bring somebody else in. So because the, the reason it's, it's set up like that is because the example of Guinea. Because when... Uh, um, Secretary uh, decided that, though, they're going to get complete freedom, the French tore, tore everything up. Roads, bridges, buildings, I mean... Someone even said they even took the toilet paper. You know what I mean? That's how, how, how vindictive they was about it. You know what I'm saying? So people saw the example of Guinea, and they made these concessions to uh, allow smooth transition. The problem is, this ain't just them. This is us too here. The problem is, we're not going to have freedom without a fight. Mm-hmm. Somehow we keep thinking that we're going to come out of this thing with just a little scratch. Mm-hmm. It's going to have to be a dead-on, head-on uh line drawn to say this is what I'm going to tolerate and this is what I'm not. You're going to have to define your own reality and say this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And if they get, they either get in line or not. But this this was going to happen. Everybody trying to have this Mandela thing to happen. But that didn't happen either because Mandela made concessions. They still they still maintain the power structure, which is the, the, the ownership of everything. So, and they everybody used Mandela as the example. Like, look what they did in South Africa. They was able to do it without bloodshed. I mean, after the fact, but not the previous bloodshed, but, you know, after him being released and becoming a president or whatever, mm-hmm. right? They always use him as an example. And the problem is no one addresses the fact that, yeah, but the whites own everything. So in Senegal, you do have ownership. You do you do have ownership. They lack, um, now, they are doing certain things. They they have a school with a ton of engineers. Mm-hmm. So they are, they, are, they are training people to be in a position to take complete control. So they, they slow moving, they slow they slow moving with help with the uh, with ECOWAS because they're trying to totally eliminate this whole CIFA thing. So they just made an agreement on creating something called the ECHO, which is gonna be the West African currency. So but they're trying to avoid having this conflict without having things in place to avoid It sounds to me sanctions sounds, sounds similar to uh sharecropping. Yeah exactly what it is on a on a on a larger scale. Yeah. On an industrial scale. You know what I mean? That's what it is. Your debt never expires. Right. But the money, their money is in France. So when the Italian guy made this statement to France about without Africa, France will be a third world country, he wasn't lying. France, all France, well, France has nothing. Mm. All they do is drink wine and eat pastries. <laughs> France resources are coming out of Africa. Mm-hmm. Gabon, uh, and and, and um, um, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, of course, Senegal, um, Mali. They just discovered something in Mali, and that, that's one reason they're there. Something they just discovered, uh, was it oil or something just recently discovered, discovered in Mali. All these conflicts and all this stuff going on, that whole create the conflict, and we get the stuff out dirt cheap without any argument. That, that's, that's what that's about. It's about having you focus on what's going on over here, and I do this over on this side. That's it's the same thing. They, they haven't changed the plan. Of, they, they haven't changed the whole means of controlling us because it worked in the past and it works now. So they won't change it because it's, it's still happening. You know what I'm saying? They're still getting the same result. Mm-hmm. But um, Senegal, uh, it's a unique place though because <clears throat> because of where it is, it, it has a lot of lot of lot of French people. Retired there. I went to a town called um, Sally Beach, mm-hmm. S A L Y, and I mean they got resorts, man, the kind you see in the Caribbean. There, I mean it's, right. it's, it's an amazing place. 
and, and as you drive through there, the, the main roads to get there, you see all these retired French people living there. Nice houses and all that, you know, walking down the street. And there's a clear conflict between the locals and the retired French people. Mm-hmm. Now, not all of them, but there are some people who got conflict because they act like they're better than everybody else. You know, and um, but they still in Senegal, and I guess I was probably the same for every other country. They still got a colonial mentality. Mm. I met several people who married to French people. Looking for a way out. Hmm? They're looking for a way out, for a way up. No, not this is no. Some they live in Senegal though, mm-hmm. but they still they married to French people. I mean, you can you can see the opportunity. You can see it as an opportunistic uh, relationship, mm-hmm. possibly. That's how it was when I was in Ghana. There was a lot of <clears throat> women, lot of women were married, you know, these white Europeans. But it's men too. The men doing it too. Yeah, matter of fact, I saw more men than I saw women doing it. But I know women do it there too. Right. There are women there. I know they're there. But they're they're because I mean I see them on Instagram with them. But there are um, a lot of men there. I met I met a white girl from Seattle that lived in the neighborhood where I was at. I met another white girl. I can't remember which state she was from. Met her too. The funny thing about the girl from Seattle, I'm sitting down. Let me, let me to show you how crazy this is. The brother I'm sitting down to a nice cat, man. Now he he's from the uh, the Seattle people, and uh, the brother was tall. I mean, you know, crazy. You know how some of the Senegalese are. Mm-hmm. But um, he is the grandson. Let me get this right. He no, he's the grand nephew of uh, Leopold, mm-hmm. first president of Senegal. Now, okay, so he's married. He's married to a white girl. Mm-hmm. I think I don't think his brothers are. One of them I know he's not. But so you got that. So the whole problem I have with this is with the whole thing when you mix like this in these countries, two things can happen. One, you divorce a person or die and lose and whatever land ownership that goes to them. So they got the land, right? Mm-hmm. If, if something happened to you, the land is inherited to the person who you married to. That person takes over the land. That's the same thing with the Asians in Kenya marrying, uh, and, or East African in general marrying uh, East African women. Mm-hmm. So you you have you have those those dynamics. Now my heart was broken when I found out she because I was married to a white woman. I never knew that. Oh, you didn't. You no. just you just found it out when you went to Senegal. Yeah, I just found it out. Wow, wow. But oh, look, that, no, it gets worse. His son is married to an Indian French woman. I met his son, but I never knew that his. I met his, his son was with uh, Dr. Finch uh, a few years ago when I was in Atlanta. Shaking Baca. Yes. Now, now think about this. They're no longer African. What do you mean? His kids already have fifty percent European, right? Mm-hmm. Now his father. I mean, shaking his dear kid, son. 50% European, right? Mm-hmm. Now, he marries an Indian woman <laughs> from France. His kids are no longer African. <laughs> I don't even know what you so, call so my, you my, my point, call that a mulatto. My, my, point is, my point is what this is. At that point, you, you have mixed yourself out of your own... Cause, and they raised in France, so they're no longer African. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. So you got that dynamic happening, right? Now, but you do have... Uh, a lot of brothers and sisters who who uh, who holding the line over there, you know what I'm saying? That's like uh, who know this is the problem we have, and I realize it's there. 
we need people translating from f- French stuff into English for us over here. The number of scholars and information that's written in French that's on the African continent is unbelievable. The amount of books I saw on every subject that we learn, we long for in the U.S. that's written in French is unbelievable. Like this book I bought, right? Like this book here. This, this particular one is not necessarily written in French, but it has all the, uh, it's a, it's a uh, comedic story, right? What's the name of that book? Uh, what is it, Shim Suit? Uh, let's see what it's called. Uh, yeah, you're the expert. Simeon <laughs> Zaketi Pen. Yeah, so this 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 has the translations of this story. This is a this is the kind of effort they're making over there. It's in Akan, Bambara, English, France, Hausa, Kikongo, Kiswahili, Lingala, Portuguese, Pula, Wolof, and Zulu. And what I said to uh, my friend, my brother, when I uh, got this, I say. For some reason, the brothers who speak Spanish is always left out of the equation. <laughs> we always forget about them. But it has these this, this this traditional African story in African languages, so everybody across the country could read it. Mm. You know, uh, well, with not everyone, but with the main language mm-hmm. that uh, well, with the the big populations. So, but there's there's tons of scholars. There there are documents on every. Particular thing that happened in Africa. There are documents in a town in France. Uh, was it Nantes, N-A-N-T-E-S, or something like that? Nantes, yeah. Yeah. That has all the records of all the slave ships and all these things there. Mm-hmm. It's in that town from France. And someone has, people have gone from Senegal there to this place to document all this stuff. So all this argument about uh, we Aboriginal and all this stuff, the documents around. Like the, like all the, the the documents from the Portuguese era is in Lisbon. All this stuff is there. So when I was there, I was able to talk to people about like how you found this information about this. I was at Gory Island, right? Mm-hmm. Where they have this place called the Gory Institute, and then they actually have um, doctors and professor, professors who are who are astute in studying this, the the history of uh, that region of Africa, right? Mm-hmm. And so these people got all this documentation. They got all the uh, all this information on the literacy of West Africa, all they see French and the English and the Portuguese. When they made this decision about Africans weren't literate, they only said that because they weren't speaking European languages. Mm-hmm. They were speaking they was write they were speaking their language and writing in Arabic. They were using Arabic the same way we use the Latin here. The Latin uh, uh the Latin romance language, excuse me. How we were using the alphabet. Mm-hmm. They used Arabic for that. They was literate. They was already literate. So there was books and all this information when you go to the museum, you'll see all this stuff. You see all these books, man. These dudes was writing calligraphy. So perfect, man. It looked like a front from a computer. Mm. The lines were the perfect straight line. It was unbelievable, the beauty of the writing. You know, so, and the, these, uh, uh, these structures. And the thing I see about Senegal, I guess it's, it may be different for some places, but I think Mali is similar uh, from just my studying. It's almost like Santeria and uh, uh, I guess you would say Lukmi a little bit, but um, Condé Blair and all those, where the fusion of the, the, the Catholic saints mask the African traditional religion mm-hmm. uh, or the uh, synchroni- synchronicity of that. It's the same way they're doing with Islam there. 
Because if you look at what goes on, how they how they revere Sheikh Hamadou Bamba, it's, it's still the same form of ancestor worship. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 because it, I mean, it ain't just him. Because they got other saints that they 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 revere too, and people go pray. They they will say that I don't pray to them, but you see the actions loud and words. So you you see these things. It's the same thing masked in another another degree. Mm-hmm. They have the same. They have this whole system. Of, um, you see what they, oh, I forgot the term they call it. But you know this, the Asian thing, Sudoku or whatever, right? You know, they be in the paper with the numbers and all that. They have a, a mythical, a mystical uh, system of using Arabic letters and creating these formulas. To, it's almost, it's a, it's a form of divination. Hmm. See, when you re- actually get down and start looking behind the stuff, you start seeing things. You know, you start seeing, like, they got the Greek Greeks with how they, okay. they may take a, Take a verse from the Quran or something. They stick it in these little things, mm-hmm. and you, you start seeing the traditional Africa that's infused inside of uh, uh, their form of Islam. You start seeing all these little small things. You just got to pay close attention to it. And if you had a back, if you got these the study, uh, you have studied uh, other African or traditional cultures, you'll see the uh, relationship. That how it's still there, it just it's masking a different form. Hmm. So I mean, so you know, it's amazing. Now, what I what I did notice that bothered me to a certain degree is, um, first of all, Senegal just like a lot of African countries, they got a a, a substantial young population. Uh, it's it's unbelievable how many young people are there. It's hmm. like people just thought I had babies. I mean, it, it's yeah. crazy. And the problem with it's a it's it's a blessing and it's a curse. Because if you don't have jobs for them, they're gonna tear the place. And and if if you if, but it's a it's a it's a, a massive undertaking to create the jobs for them. So this is where I say our opportunity to come in, the, the the ability for us to come in and provide jobs. We got skills over here that can they can benefit from. I talked to a brother who had just he got there maybe two days before I left. He he lives in Vermont, Senegalese brother, and uh, I, I'm like. He was like, we need to get y'all, we need y'all over here. He kept saying he'd come there to try to do some investments and stuff himself. He was like, we need y'all here. And I'm like, this is the thing that should have been done early on where we got a black organization for every industry. Black lawyers, the association, the black architect association. We got, you meet with them. They recommend people that comes over, come over. They, oh, they got to be some interlinking between the university there and uh, uh, some black university that's trustworthy, that has the same mindset and value that you share. It's, it's ways of doing that, you know, that we can kind of bridge these gaps um, and have people train them so they can have brain gains to the brain drain. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's things like that I saw, but it was a lot of people sitting around, a lot of young people without work. Now, but you see a lot of young people hustling too. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people making a way out of nowhere. You see everything. You see people selling everything possible, imagine. But the Chinese are also there, too. Mm-hmm. The Chinese got an area where they're going to create their own Chinatown there in Dakar. There's one there. Um, so. Didn't they build a, um, what was the, the, the museum that they uh, built over there in Dakar? That's what he went to. The World History? Was it the, like, the, what? The, uh, What's yeah. the name of museum, it? The museum, yeah. the they, museum of Black Civilization. Black Civilization. Yeah, yeah they helped yeah, help finance it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Chinese yeah, yeah. did. But they got the money, too. They got the money to pay the Chinese back. Okay. But but at the same time, now, this is the same thing that happens a lot of times. You got a black architect 
which they had, mm-hmm. and you got Asian Builder. So that's that's what happened. With it. Uh, I also went to that uh, the, Renaissance, the African Renaissance Monument, which is the one with the man, woman, child, right? Now it's an elevator in it where it goes up. You get inside the hat, you can see the whole city. Mm-hmm. It's real nice, but they have a museum inside of it. Mm-hmm. So it goes and try to you know they uh, explain the different ethnic groups and how long they live together and the different things, the different aspects they bring to the civilization and um of West Africa, that part of West Africa. But um, same thing with that. Black architect, Asians built it because I think it's built by the North Koreans. Mm. So, so that's that's, you know, we just gotta have confidence, man. This is the problem with black people: lack of confidence of us doing our things ourselves. That's the difference between the ancients and us now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they believed they could do it. They knew they could do it. And they didn't have as many distractions as we had. Yeah, we, we we don't we buy into this this narrative that somehow. Other people's stuff is better quality than our own. And that's one of the things that I always say, too, is that when you look at the pyramids, we have to argue now with people who think that Africans didn't build the pyramids. But 500 to 1,000 years from now, if some of these structures are still there, we're going to have to say (laughs) that foreigners came in (laughs) and built these structures and left. And it would be true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, they didn't design it, but they built them. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's true. Now I think um, I think with with the number of architects and uh, engineers they they producing now that that's soon changing because Senegal have I mean that's one good that they have a lot of intellectuals in Senegal. Are they are they focusing any of that energy the youth energy into strengthening the military? Oh, the military. You know, I don't know about the military because I didn't get a chance to see. I saw, well, I saw some of the military. I talked to, I talked to a couple of brothers because they used to allow you to take pictures of the um, presidential palace mm. and from this one angle and talk to the military guys, and uh, but they stopped it. But we talked to this one guy, and he was like, nah, go ahead, you can take a picture from here. It's all right. He's like, it's already on on Facebook. I mean, you know, what's the difference? You know, I hope I ain't get this brother in trouble, but that's what he said, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the thing... That um, I don't know. Well, it doesn't matter even if you train the military because they got to they got to restructure what they're doing because the French are training them. So the French know everything you're capable of. And the French the things, have a base there. Another thing too that uh, and maybe you can answer this as well, but the security in, in a lot of African countries is is high. A lot of places that I don't know how it is in Senegal because I haven't been there, but in a lot of places you go to. You go into the hotel, you go through a metal detector, or you go into a store, not like a a, a local store on on, on the uh, no like in the market or no anything bodega, like that. Type. Yeah, yeah, but if you go to like uh, a building or a business established business, a lot of times you have to go through metal detectors, like a mall or something like that. I know that how that's how it is a lot in East Africa. Mm-hmm. So they have this high level of security and. I'm guessing that it's because of, you know, threats that they feel could take place. I guess that's why they don't want you to take pictures of the military and the presidential palace because they feel like, you know, somebody could be a spy mm-hmm. or that or what have you. But if you have that level of security when it comes to the physical infrastructure, where is that same level of security when it comes to, you know, the business deals and trusting foreigners, mm-hmm. continue, the continuation of that? Right. You know, right, it's, right. it's like... 
you know, I'll come in, they tell me don't take a picture, but then at the same time, you let the white boys come in and, you know, just wreck shop and do what they want to do. Well, I saw something on my way out, though, that was interesting. I don't know, this white girl was smuggling something, and they caught her. Mm. And she was boohooing, dude, like, no, you ain't going anywhere. That's good. So, you know, I, I but that's why I'm saying I'm a little leery of saying that they totally, you know, threw the hands up and like, okay, we just going to allow them to continue to, to rape our, our country. But Yeah, I, I mean, I don't really mean individually. <clears throat> I more so mean when I say that they let the white boys come in, like, mm-hmm. Like the governments, mm-hmm. like they let the French government right, 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 come right, right. in and wreck shop, or they let you know other European nations come in and create these deals where we we are a lot of times on the losing end of the stick mm-hmm. or the that, short end of the stick. And I think that's because of lack of um, lack of unity. I mean, and, I'm, and I don't mean that in a general sense. I mean the lack of the ability of us to have form some kind of cohesiveness as a as a global people. Because if, if the African Union was as powerful as it should be, that couldn't happen. The, the Libya thing would have never happened. If they felt protected. Right. The Libya thing would have never happened. Mm-hmm. The uh, um, France, would, the CIFA would have been gone by now. The uh, the Commonwealth of, uh, for Britain would have been gone by now mm-hmm. on the continent. Uh, because, the, NATO, like you said, NATO had a response. They, 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 they joined together right. against Gaddafi. Right. When after Gaddafi got killed, where was the African response? Right. Where were the African countries that came together and said, we're going to shoot missiles back at the right. UK and France? Right, exactly. So, I mean. I mean, they know who buttered a biscuit at the end of the day. So, right. that's why they kind of probably held back. And then you got, Africa just like any other place. You got these blocks of groups of people who, just like us, you got these people who assimilationists, and mm-hmm. you got these people who are more independent-minded. That's what. That's like early on with the whole a, a, um, OAU, when you had the so-called Liberian, Monrovian group, whatever they called them, and the, the more group that was more like Nkrumah. So the Pan-African group was like, let's move faster. You had the Monrovian group, Monrovian group that was like, nah, that's the ease up on this. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's still that way to a certain degree today. You know, you got more people who are more militant. You know what I'm saying? But I think that's changing because people are seeing ideas are flooding the continent. Mm-hmm. You know, people having these ideas. Now, I don't think we realize like what these little YouTube channels that people have, or actually how they actually influence the country. Yeah, yeah. I know cats like me. I sit down and watch Doctor Clock every day. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's, it's, so these guys they get this information right now. So it's, it's it's changing the dynamic. And that and and brothers and sisters on the continent too, creating YouTube channels. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and they putting out a lot of information. Exactly. You know, the same way. So that that yeah. connection is is definitely being built. When you looked at the price of land there, mm-hmm. um, how expensive is it to purchase land? Uh, well, individual price, individual purchasing land in Dakar, you got to have money. As a group, you can afford it. Okay. Uh, you move outside of Dakar, you go places like Chess. Um, I want to say Simone, but it may be getting higher there too. But places, some other places. You can uh, you can you can get land cheap. I'm gonna give you a good example. Maybe even in Dakar, you can probably build a three story building for thirty thousand dollars. Wow. So I'm not like, sure about so, the price of so land. Basically, that case, like a yeah, like yeah, a con- apartment, con- yeah, or apartment, condo. Yeah, nice apartment. I know the the place I was staying is a sister, Senegalese sister who used to live in Houston. 
She made all her money from braid, hair braid, braid. Hmm. She moved back there, built this apartment. Man, it's nice, dude. I mean, it's really nice. And what's that process like for, for an American citizen to come to Senegal and try to purchase? Can you own the land there? Yeah, you can own land there. You can own it. I'm not. I'm not sure how. I'm not. I know there's probably some, some, um, some hoops you gotta jump through, but you can't own land there. Do you um, have to have like a native uh, Senegalese brother or sister that that's there to like manage it? I would. Okay. I would. Um, this is, but this is my argument. Why not be a citizen? You know, this is what I'm saying. Let's stop just trying to do stuff and see. Okay, if you want to hold on to your 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 American citizenship because you say, okay, we built this country, a lot of blood and tears, right? That's fine. I agree. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get citizenship in another country, get it too. Mm-hmm. How is that? Is that process hard? Um, it varies country to country, though, because some countries you got to, just like here, you got to invest a certain amount of money and then they allow you to become a citizen. Some places you be here a certain amount of time, they allow it. You know? I mean, like in Senegal, is it? Is it uh, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I was told it's not as difficult as, as most of the countries. Okay. So okay. I was told I could get it. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get it. But, um, um, because I mean, See, I was gonna try to get Nigerian citizenship because of because of my bloodline, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I st- I'm still thinking about doing that. But I like I love Senegal, man. Senegal is beautiful, man. I mean, and the, and the people, you know, I just I just like it, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I'm, I'm gonna try to get Senegalese citizenship because I like I like that. I like that temperature. That's the re- yeah, <laughs> reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying, man, you can. I'm, I'm, I mean, if you go inside the interior, then it gets hotter. But like when you're in the car, man, I mean that that. That constant temperature, dude. I'm when I saw seventy something degrees, man. Then it was like sixty something at night. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gets cool at night. And people, people have a misconception. They think that you know, all of Africa is as hot as Egypt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. Now, you go inside, it gets it gets hot. But because when I went to a place called Tubab Jalo, I'm gonna tell you what's interesting about that place. It's a Haitian brother built this resort there, like a, almost a retreat type thing. It's almost got like a hippie vibe to it. This brother built a castle, man, a mini castle. With, uh, you see all the stones laid down here. He teaches drumming and dancing. And um, they have like a market there. They have uh, like healing things they sell, like different herbs and things like that. Uh, brother's 90 years old, man. Mm. You know, so... Mm. Um, you can do what you want. You, it's just, it's just, it's about your imagination. What you want to do there, mm-hmm. and that, and that's where that's where that's where we fall short at. Let me ask you this, Trig. Jacques talked a lot in pre-colonial Africa about the caste system. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he was talking, you know, about the uh, the Wolof people. Um, what uh, did you did, did did you was it very evident to you? Uh, in the time that you were there, that um, that the caste system is still very much, you know, in in effect. I mean, if you were, you know, raised into a family that was leather makers, then you, you're gonna be leather makers. If you were servants, you're gonna be servants. Um, it was was that evident to you? I mean, is is that is that something you know you observed? Uh, and the Fulani, I mean, they they spread all across, you know, mm-hmm. West Africa. So right. I mean, I don't know if they if they have anything similar to that. I mean, being nomads, they you know constantly on the move. But 
did you see anything like that? Because some people think that that um, is an uh, impediment to developing a truly egalitarian society when, you know, you are whatever, whatever you born into, you can never rise above that. Mm -hmm. And I know, um, you know, I just sent out this article about this sister that has, that uh, she's Igbo, and she she talked about how uh, a lot of the people that were enslaved mm-hmm. by, you know, Igbo chiefs and you know tribal leaders and whatever, they're still feeling the in, in effects of that in 2019. Right, because you know they 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 can't they they cannot they cannot move out of that and and uh, even you know. Uh, Almost like um, a nativism that we talk about here in the United States, um, they don't want to even intermarry because you know this guy said you know you're contaminating the blood your bloodlines when you're uh, intermarrying with someone whose family were traditionally slaves. Right, because they got a divine sanction on the way they. Yeah. Own that. So I mean, yeah. so what about the caste system? Um, yeah, I talked to I talked to um, my brother about that and. Um, I think the term caste is a misnomer when it comes to that because it's almost like the the way he explained it is it's not that's not so much the case now but the thing the way he explained it was if you have a uh, family that uh, that uh, are traditionally good at something right mm-hmm. they pass it on to their child and their child pass it on to their child so the quality becomes better and better because of this person has been doing this for so long. So you don't take a basket weave and then all of a sudden make him an ironsmith. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason that was like that. Now, um, I didn't notice any anything like that, but I did hear a story that was told to me about a, um, a young lady who, uh, actually I met the young lady there, but I didn't witness any of this, that one family was uh, would, wouldn't do anything for her. You know what I'm I mean, she worked for them. They have her doing everything. They wouldn't be. They wouldn't do anything. They just had her do all the work, right? She, she would get paid, but they they mistreated her, you know. Mm-hmm. So I did. I did see that. Uh, well, not not see that, but meet her and their family. But and I, but I didn't see any of that. But I heard stories. So he told me, like, you need to get your, get off your behind. This this bone boy. He's straight up. He tell you straight up what he feels. He's like, you need to get up and do something. You can't have this girl doing everything. You know what I'm saying? So, and the girl was basically a maid. And to so. They used the, to the letter, like, you do this and we not doing nothing. That's basically how it was, you know what I'm saying? So from what he was telling me. But as far as, like, an actual caste system, I didn't see any of that. I mean, like, uh, the, the people that's called uh, the Lebu, those are the people, uh, a lot of them, they're great fishermen. Like, they do what they've been doing forever. I mean, that's just, that's what they do. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm a fisherman. Mm-hmm. So... But I don't see, in, see, I can't, I think Senegal is different because a lot of people intermingling. Um, it's, it's not, it's not hard to find somebody who's Fulani and Wolof, somebody Wolof and Lebu, somebody Seder and Fulani, you know, it, these people mix. You know, it's, it's, I think those days are far behind us in, in Senegal. Mm. Now, um, you know, maybe in some other places, because I have heard of, I have heard, of some of that in Mali before, you know, because there are there there are groups that are uh, who are still identified as like a a, a servant level or a caste level among that are black Africans who are still considered a servant level under the Tuaregs, 
you know what I'm saying? The Burbles see them as being this, you know. So, that, I mean, I, from what I saw in Senegal, that's, that, that's no longer the case. Okay. Let me ask you this. In terms of there's a lot of Fulani, Hauser, Fulani, Dogon. I mean, there's a lot the conflict. of conflicts. Conflicts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Primarily over land, you know, grazing and those kinds of things. Uh-huh. Uh, but Senegal seems to have avoided that that uh-huh. so far. Now, uh, have the majority of the Fulani they converted to Islam? Yeah, most of them, most of them Muslim. I okay. mean, there are there are a few who now there are some Fulani Christians, but most of them Muslim. Uh-huh. And there are some Fulani's who rare, but there are some traditional Fulani's mainly among the people they call the Wodabi. Okay. Now, they Senegal, so far, has been able to avoid the uh, the fallout from the overthrow of, of Gaddafi. I mean, it's had, uh, you know, a lot of uh, jihadist groups have emerged in, you know, Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, uh, Cameroon, Chad. There's, there's been a lot, right, of, right, right. lot of terrorist activities. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of it's, most of it's directed at either at the military or at hotels where Europeans would be. But, of course, there's Africans working there, so a lot of Africans always get killed. Uh-huh. Um, what is what is the uh, the mood there in, in Senegal in terms of the conflicts that are, that are taking place around them? The, right. Do the people feel safe? I mean, like you, right. you, you talk to, to somebody from Namibia, for example. Mm-hmm. And they they'll say, man, this is the safest place in in the world. You don't have to never worry about anything. Now we're upset that the Germans still have land; they live better than us in their, their secluded communities. But we just feel safe. We just feel like just this is a very peaceful society. Right. How do the people feel in Senegal with all of because they're surrounded by it. They, the, the conflict is all around right, them. Right, right, which is strange. I mean, it's not in Guinea either, though. But in Guinea, no, though. it's not in yeah. Guinea. But it is around them, though. But it's all around because you got Burkina Faso, like you said, you Mali, got Mali, right? You got, and you got some some agitation in Mauritania also. So yeah, um, they don't seem to be worried about. I mean, they Senegal security is top notch. I, I mean, they seem to know what they're doing. Now, is that because of the French? French? It's got to be. The French got a base there. I mean, had, I, I, I really believe that's what it is. I okay. mean, uh, but also at the same time, some about that conflict in Mali don't seem to be what they say it is. Oh, mm. really? What do you yeah. mean? I mean, what are you thinking? I'm thinking it's mercenaries. And I don't mean like, and I don't mean African mercenaries. I mean Europeans mm. or Americans. Mm. And I'm going to tell you two, one thing I noticed when I was going to Senegal. And I, I landed in, the, um, in Madrid and um, caught a flight from Madrid to, to Dakar. Walking through the airport, you see all these guys with duffel bags and camouflage on, and they're not military, and they're white Americans. Mm. They got beers, and they, they, they don't walk like military. You know how walk, military guys walk. Mm-hmm. Their backs are straight. Mm-hmm. These guys are regular guys, backwood. You hear the accents, mm-hmm. and I know, and I saw them when I was coming in. I saw them when I was leaving. Okay, and I know I, I started to talk to them just to get a little feel for where it was where it was going. Now, on the way going, I mean leaving, I noticed where it was leaving. It was going back to Dallas. But, and the only reason I put two and two together is um, I had a conversation with a friend of mine here in Charlotte. He's friend with somebody who worked for Blackwater. Okay, and he 
the 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 friend he has told him they was getting ready to go to the Congo, and they told him that they were going to Malta, and I'm like, why would you go to Malta? Then I got to thinking, Malta is right across the water from Libya. If you look at the weaponry that's in in Libya, like where are these people getting these? Have you seen the weapons that they're using in Libya? In this conflict, this little mini conflict between the civil war, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. they're using high caliber caliber weaponry that you just can't get unless you connect it with somebody major. Well, Hafter is getting his weapons from Egypt and the Emirates and Qatar. That's where right. he's getting his weapons from. Right, which, but, who, means, but who's on which, the other side? Which, of, mean, which means that they're coming from the United States. Right, but who's on the other side of it? You got the other side is the, the NATO countries mm-hmm. who's backing the other the uh, all the UN or whatever or backing that other the other group right the other sect the so-called uh legitimate authority whatever right yeah but but they say that for whatever reason they think Trump is giving half to a green light yeah he called them he called them mm-hmm. so you so but I noticed this thing go ahead so the comp so so you see all these people going around so I I was told that it's nothing for a plane to just land somewhere in the country mm-hmm. and come in and grab whatever they want and just leave. Just leave. I mean, just regular people. Sound like Haiti. Right. That's what I was told. So so I wouldn't be surprised. It's actually, and I just told you that they, they found oil, I think, in Mali. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised. Because these people live next to each other for a long time, the Dogons and the Fulani. Mm-hmm. You know, I I got friends who are Fulani and um, uh, Bambara. These people are mixed for centuries. Yeah, same with the Fulani and Hausa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they just slaughtering one another yeah. in Nigeria. Well, see, the thing about that is another thing. I'm not even sure about that. Now, you do have now that that conflict in the north with with the the, the Berbers who came down and the Arabs or whatever. Mm-hmm. You do have an issue of um that them want that state in northern Mali, right? Mm-hmm. And they want to do whatever they can do. You talking about taking the Torag's land? Oh yeah, the, yeah, them having their own. Um, country, or whatever. Right. Which, which in reality, not originally from there, no way. But you know, that's another story. But, but you do have have them pushing people down. They say that those are the people who are arming the Fulani. That's what they, the whole argument is saying in Mali, right? Okay. Because the because the Fulani feel like they've been discriminated by other groups, you know. And it's not all Fulani because you got a sedimentary Fulani, the Fulani who actually live who don't who don't, don't travel. Yeah. No, yeah. And then you have the one uh, the ones who do travel. So, but it's these blanket statements, just like Nigeria, for instance, these blanket statements are calling everybody who 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 cattle herding a Fulani is the problem. Mm-hmm. Because in Nigeria, the word Fulani is more of a political term than it is an ethnic group. And what I mean by that is, people call everybody in the North Fulani. Or they'll say Hausa Fulani. Everybody in the North is not Hausa or Fulani. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other ethnic groups in the North. Right. And the Fulani is not the major group in the North. It's the Hausa. So... And there are Fulanis there, of course, and there's Fulanis in the, what they call the middle belt. The middle belt is this land between the south and the north, which is uh, like, uh, I guess you, I don't know if you consider um, Eloran and all these places, but um, J- maybe Jos or something like that. It's an area that, that's blended between the Christians and the Muslims. They all live together. It's in the middle. They have conflicts that pop out of, you know, here and there. But now what they're saying is they got these people coming in from the Cameroon side, right? And they're moving into, like, the Yoruba side and, uh, they they eating farmland, right? They, they, the cows eat the farms. Mm-hmm. So so the argument is that Bahari's not doing anything about it because they're his people, which he's not fully Fulani, but he has Fulani blood also. Mm-hmm. And he just allowed these people to do this. And he think so you got people making these statements like, 
that Buhari is um, trying to make Nigeria into a Fulani state. Mm-hmm. So you rely on all these people who don't have no nation to come and stay here. Right. Right. And that's that's what they're saying. The problem is somebody just needs to do something. He he came with this plan. Uh, I don't know who originally came to the plan of uh, creating these ranches. He did. Right? He he was him. Buhari did. Yes. Just do it. The problem is just do it. I mean, we see that we got issues with climate change, right? Or whatever you want to call it, where the land's dry, uh, the rain season is not. They can fix all this. Yeah. Irrigation, mm-hmm. instead of waiting on rain. Right. You know what I mean? It's, it's things that can be done. It's the innovative thinking that was. It's, it's, it's better to try something. Right, than to do nothing. Than nothing. But but he's getting a lot of Yoruba opposition. Right, right, right. You know. But then, I mean, you look at him with this whole thing with the fighting corruption and all this. I mean, it's a lot of enemies been made with that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, now I've heard you reclaim you reclaim all these billions of dollars. Haven't seen where it went or whatever, but you know, I, I don't know. I, he may but you, but you, but you, but you think that, and of, of course, I mean, we know that we know that they create instability, right? Mm-hmm. In order to take resources to, mm-hmm. to to create a climate where they create a lot of fear, mm-hmm. and then no investment. Uh, the countries don't have infrastructure, mm-hmm. don't have adequate security, mm-hmm. and so they want to call in Africa mm-hmm. or France, right? And 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 then and then once you bring them in, all the Americans because the U.S. is there. The yeah. U.S. have troops in uh, training, so-called training capacity or troops in Nigeria. So you mean to tell me? These these U.S. troops that's on the ground in in, in Nigeria, right, and Niger, supposedly the most superior um, technology out of all the militaries in the world, mm-hmm. they can't stop Boko Haram if they wanted to. Right, that's my point. Yeah. So the the whole thing with the, the Fulani herdsmen, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the truth on that. I mean, because. But you're suspicious. I'm suspicious, and I've heard various things. I've heard people pretend to be Fulani doing it. Because Fulani usually just carry a stick, right? They don't carry weapons. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, they, they got all these weapons out they of nowhere. They got AK-47s. Yeah, yeah. Even the women. You know what I'm saying? Like, where this come mm-hmm. from? So you, 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 got, you got this crazy thing, dynamic. Now, they found a dude that was supposedly a herdsman of the day and found out he was Ebo. Now, some people say, oh, it's just propaganda. They just found some guy and made him say he was Ebo or whatever. I mean, he was clearly Ebo, but, you know, we don't know if that was true or not. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You got people stealing Fulani cattle, which the Fulani retaliate back on that because the Fulani mm-hmm. keep his wealth in cattle. Mm-hmm. Cause that's how they make their money, they sell all these cattle. Right. You know, so I, I don't know w- what's going on. It's a, it's a bunch of confusing. I mean, and but you can address it, though. You can address it, like I said, by creating the ranches. Now, and somebody, somebody a, a leader amongst the Fulani in Nigeria or, uh, or Mali, even even in Mali for this, for this purpose, so one of the Fulani leaders is going to have to say, look, you gotta make, you gotta adapt, you gotta make adjustment because what's happening. You can't no longer be traveling thousands of miles doing this. There's no land here. And just taking somebody's. Yeah, yeah. you can't. Yeah. I mean, them days are over. You got so you gotta adapt to the circumstance. So right. you gotta make an adjustment. Mm-hmm. So that's gotta happen too. So I haven't heard anyone say. Well, there there are uh, these meetings that's taking place between different groups and the Fulani herdsmen in Nigeria, mm-hmm. where they try to keep the peace. So um, we'll see what happens with that. But. Something got to be done. I mean, you can't have people just kidding each other. Well, I mean, stability. I mean, you you can't have any economic development without stability. Right. You know, I mean, the country the country has to be stable. I mean, mm-hmm. so Gaddafi, with all of his flaws, he had there was forty two years of stability, and that's why Libya became 
you know, the most, uh, you know, economically advanced country in Africa, which is amazing when you think about it. I Desert, mean, right. I mean, when you, when With you, water. When you, when you think about it, I mean, yeah. you know, why not South Africa, right, or whatever, you know, or Nigeria, but, uh, but, but, but you have to have stability. And see, and, and see, and they, and they, and, 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 and the imperialists know as long as they can create instability, mm-hmm. as long, as long as they got Africans, you know, fighting amongst one another, and I don't, I, you know, I'm one hundred percent with you. There's no doubt that that. Look, we know what happened doing COINTELPRO. We've done it before. We we we, we, we right. know. We 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 seen the history of agent provocateurs, right? right? So right. It's no, there's nothing new. Okay, go go ahead, uh, Trig. We we are, we we we're running out of time. We appreciate uh, you know spending time with us tonight. Just just give us your closing, you know, overview of thoughts on you know. On, on your experience and and, 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 and and what you see for for the future in terms of a positive? Um, I think the, the positive stories are not mentioned enough because I, I actually saw something that was impress, impressive. In Senegal, they, um, where there's hills at in the new areas where they, they reclaim land, they have these aqueducts that catch the rainwater that comes down and feed into a larger container that holds water. Mm. The same technique that Gaddafi basically used mm-hmm. with the Great Waterway. Right. right. So mm-hmm. I, I see things like that. So they're using they're actually using their head to create some things. Um, mm-hmm. And they, the connectivity between the countries is starting to happen. Mm-hmm. So that that's the big thing. So with this whole free trade thing, um, as long as they don't let some bad deal. Uh, continental bad deal spread in every country. Right. It, it'll be all right. But so I think um, that'd be good. But the place, man, is beautiful. The people are nice. Um, and um, they they actually want to know more about us as much as we want to know about them. You know, and um, they just, the question I kept getting is, two questions I kept getting. Why y'all don't come more? Hmm. The, the, the second question was, what is going on in the United States? <laughs> like, what is wrong with y'all over there now? You know what I'm saying? Not just us, but just the whole country. Like, what is going on? White and black ask me that. Like, what is going on in the United States? Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, everybody see, um, and everybody have a, a sense that uh, this stronghold, this European hegemony is over. Okay. Everybody feel that this is it. And so we got to position ourselves to, uh, you know, be in a position to to take leadership. Yeah, like you said, we got to harness that uh yeah, that growing population of young people, man. Yeah. That's the main thing. Because Europeans, they are dying fast. They dying out. Before they can create. <laughs> yeah. And we got to ride the wave. They so, don't have one country where they have a... a positive a, population a, growth. Exactly. Right, not not one. one country. The sad thing is, we don't have the same thing. Now, I'm, not, I'm talking about blacks, too, in the U.S. We having the same problem. Because we didn't adopt their, their bad habits and their ways of thinking and their, their customs. We've become black white people. Mm. You know, so we got to identify ourselves as African people. This has been another episode of the African Liberation Media Podcast. Thank you for joining us. You can check us out on our website, AfricanLiberationMedia.com. You can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and also you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram. I'm BB for ODA. BB for ODA. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not job, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. 
uh, buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. Uh, if it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.